This is The Drive with Dale Lally and Matt Williamson on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. It's a lovely Friday. The Steelers kicked off their rookie minicamp today. It was a beautiful day out there to watch some uh, minicamp practices and uh, got to see our our, our first look at uh, the Steeler rookies um, live and in person. Um, a little jealous. I would have liked to have been sitting down there. I mean, just a nice day. Like you said, nice day, decent environment. You know, those guys' first you know, exposure, good stuff. Not that they did a, a whole lot, but, no, you know, I mean, right. again, you get an opportunity to see it. Before we get started, though, okay, I just I was scrolling through Twitter here, Matt, yeah. and there's a thing here that says, what animal could you beat in a fight? Compared to wow. women, men feel most able to take medium-sized dogs and geese. Geese are a little nastier than you think, by the so, way. So the question was, which of the following animals, <laughs> if any, do you think you could beat in a fight if you were unarmed? Unarmed, just unarmed. Yeah, okay. A rat. Yeah, yeah. I like my yeah. chances. A house cat. Yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of wounds from my cats, but you I could still would them. win in the end. <laughs> a goose. They're nastier than you think. They're nastier than you think, but yeah, yeah, I could take. Them. I'd grab them by the neck and it'd be over. A medium-sized dog. Yes. They yeah. might get a bite in, but I'm not right. going to lose. An eagle. No. <laughs> I mean, they, they have a trump card I can't match. Yeah, they're I mean, going to fly. The flying thing is big. Well, 38% of men think that they can take an eagle. It's just a bad matchup. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, some coaches. Where, where's the game being played at? Where, whose home field is it? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, if it was in a phone booth, I like my chances. I'd end up bloody in a mess, but. Only 23% of women think they can take an eagle. 38% of men. Yeah. I mean, men are a little tougher. No offense, yeah. ladies, but you know, a large dog. Thirty-one percent of men say win. that they could take him. Twenty. Uh, Are we talking like 50%. a shepherd? I guess it would be, yeah, you know, I mean, or a boxer like or something like that. I mean, even a pit bull or a notoriously tough dog, they would get their bites in. They and win. I wouldn't be happy Some, they win sometimes. They. Kill. <laughs> I just think I would win in the end. Here's where we get crazy. If it's here. to the death. From that point on, it gets kind of crazy. Okay. Okay. A king cobra. 23% of men think that they could take a king cobra. They have a trump card. It's a bad matchup. It's a bad matchup. They only ma- get yeah. one bite in and it's over. It's over. It's done. Right. You lose that battle. 8% of women. Because women are smarter in this capacity. A chimpanzee. 22% of men think they could take a chimpanzee. Ooh. I'm sorry, folks. You're wrong. I think you're wrong on that one. They will bite your face off. I'm trying to think what my plan of attack is. Like, we're not going to sit in a ring and box. No. You know I mean, he's, he's coming be- at you and he's, yeah. <laughs> right. He's faster than me. He's meaner than me. He's meaner than you. He's, he's got the same weapons I do. Jungle tested. Actually, more weapons because he got big teeth. Yeah, and he can swing and from you know with his tail. And, and they're stronger than you. People don't realize that. I think they're stronger for oh, sure. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I was a biology major for three years at Pitt Johnstown. Oh, well, uh, that doesn't qualify you, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd have to land a Tyson haymaker right off the bat. Yeah. And you're not gonna. No, I might not even phase it. It might not be enough, right? Uh, a kangaroo. Seventeen percent of men said they could beat up a kangaroo. They could beat a kangaroo. You lose. I mean, what's your plan of attack? I mean, you got to like choke them out or wrestle them. Yeah, you're not going to get that close. <laughs> I mean, he's going to kick you right in the head. And, and yeah. you're going to be seeing stars, right? No chance. A wolf, sixteen percent. No way. 
Wolves are big. Wolves are big. That's much bigger than a regular dog, that's, and they are yeah. vicious. That's that's much different than fighting a, a, a German Shepherd. Yeah. A crocodile. Ten percent of men think it can take a crocodile. This is not. We're not talking an alligator here. We're talking a crocodile. Some of them are like eighteen feet long. Yeah. Right? No Maybe thanks. Maybe in the desert. Yeah. Where's the Where's the game being played at? It takes us back to the the, the schedules. This is where I'm going with it. It's the right. schedule oh, stuff. Absolutely. I mean, if it's where's the game played? The, When's it played? <laughs> if it's really cold out and they're blood, you know, they're cold blooded animals. Yeah. Then they move really slow. Maybe I could jump on them, and I'm not sure how I hurt them though. Yeah. That, are we in the problem. water or are we in, are we on land? If there's any water involved, you're losing. Crocodile. Yeah. Advantage crocodile in a big way. In a desert or. On the Arctic, I got a shot, but I still don't know how I'm going to hurt him. I, yeah. mean, I need like a knife or something. I mean, I'm just going to slam you don't have one. ice cube, but you know. Yeah. I don't know how I hurt him. A gorilla. No. <laughs> how, what percentage actually thinks they win that one? Nine. Well, come on. <laughs> so if we're walking around the mall and you just pick out random 10 dudes, including like 70-year-old men yeah. and 15-year-old, you know, soon-to-be men. None of them beats up a gorilla. Nobody beats up the gorilla. No. Hulk Hogan doesn't beat up the gorilla. <laughs> Nobody you saw at minicamp beats up the gorilla. No. 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 Right. And that's more than the top 10% of male population. This one should be much lower, and I don't understand why it's not. Because there's two, actually, that have lower than it. An elephant. <laughs> How do you win? You know what I mean? Like, how do you win that battle? I don't how, know. What's your finishing move against – you're not going to put him in the figure four. You know, you're not going to come off the turnbuckle with an elbow. and you've You're got not going to no, choke him out. You've got no way to, 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 to even hurt the elephant. You, you poke his eye with, out? Again, unarmed. The idea here is unarmed. Right. With a large elephant rifle, I got a shot. Yeah. You know, with a knife, I That's still That's why lose. we invented guns. Right. I mean, you could give me a sword. And I spears still and swords and right, th- right, right, things right. of that nature. Because sure. we didn't have, we weren't equipped to handle we're losing these those battles. Yeah. Right. A lion. Zero percent. Eight percent say they could beat a lion. Come on. <laughs> and fl- come on. What would you, you wouldn't even get close to him. He wouldn't even have to bite you. He'd give you one swat, like a, I'm sure a bear's on this list too. So they'd give you one right hook and it'd be over. With those big claws. Forget about the, it. The final one is the grizzly bear. And the grizzly, anyone think? 7% think they could beat a grizzly bear. How? I don't what, know. Again, what's your approach? He's faster than you. He's bigger than you. He's got... He's ma- got weapons you don't. Yeah. He's got weapons you don't. Including, right. Uh, uh, Even similar style fighter. About 10 years ago... That's like Bama playing Duquesne. Yeah. <laughs> so, I I, uh, I used to be... I was the outdoors editor at the Observer Reporter in addition to being... Okay. Steelers writer. So I got invited to go on a, uh, from the, uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, invited me to go out to a bear tagging event. What you mm. do for a bear tagging event is you is you go out in the wintertime when the bears are sleeping. Ah, okay. You, you find the den, they, and they know where the den's at because the mom is already tagged. Okay. And somebody climbs down into the den and pulls out the cubs, and they tag the cubs. Okay. Because the cubs are actually active while mom's sleeping. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. they'll move They're around. They're recently little, born. Right? Yeah, they'll move around a little bit and they'll do some. They got to feed and do th- things okay. of that nature. They gotta so mom's out. Mom's out cold. Okay. Always. Yeah. Can you wake mom up? Not usually. No, it's okay. Yeah. Well, I might beat up a uh, hibernating grizzly bear. There you go. That's one way to do it. And yeah. Maybe I can like hold my hand over their nose <laughs> and suffocate them or something. I'm trying to think. I'm still not hurt them. <laughs> so 
The guy goes down and he climbs down there. She was under a rock, had a little rock thing. Yeah. She climbs in there, gets the cubs, brings them out, and I'm holding the bear cub. It's about it's a brand new baby. Bear, it's about right? a about a ten pound bear cub. Okay, which is it was I think it was three or four weeks old. Much different, I'm guessing, than a three month old ten pound human. Yes, <laughs> in terms of because style. this thing had claws that were as long as my fingers. Oh wow! <laughs> like <laughs> like this thing could mess you up. Yeah, and it's a black that's a black bear and not a grizzly, which are relatively black bears grizzly, compared yeah. to grizzly bears are night and day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're scared of you. They're afraid of you. Like I, when, when we have black bear sightings, in, in which happen in the city and you yeah, know, yeah. anywhere in re- western Pennsylvania uh, or Pennsylvania in general, and people freak out about it. I just laugh. It's not that bad. It's yeah. not that big of a okay. deal. And you still lose a, a fight to a black bear. Yes. Every day. Every not day. A, I mean, but yeah. I mean, it depends, not like a grizzly. Depends on the size. Grizzly bears, on the other hand, <laughs> get to be like eight hundred pounds. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I, you're not handling that. You're not handling that. I don't I mean, care. You're not beating a black bear either. No, not a, 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 a reasonably dad. grown black bear. I, right. I would not want to mess with. Uh, no. Do um, you win a fight against a ten-pound black bear? Yeah. Okay. Yes, the size becomes a factor. Yeah, it's a little bear. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could hold him. You could probably kick him around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My point with this is the Steelers' schedule came out on yes. On uh, Wednesday night, and we did, of course, a show about it. And so often, like we we knew what the Steelers, who the Steelers' opponents were going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What we didn't know was where that battle was going to be held, mm-hmm. and who you fought the week before, who you fought the week before, right, where right. you at in your you schedule. Got a horse on the schedule next week. Yeah, and <laughs> Great White the week before. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so my point with this is that. While a lot of people are looking at that Steelers schedule, well, they play a ridiculous schedule, and it's going to be really tough to win. Sure, and, and sure, there's there's no doubt about it. It looks that way. They also go from the time of from September 13th, after they get back after they play their opener, mm-hmm. until November 20th. Yeah, they get on a plane once. That's crazy. Once, Crazy. yeah, they only play two road games in that stretch. Yeah, and they're both. It's lost. six home games and, and two road games, and they're easy road games travel wise. Yeah, you, know, you win. Isn't, but. Uh, most NFL teams and, and, and good NFL team will win. Uh, in this year, the Steelers will have nine games, so seven and two at home would be. Oh yeah, it's certainly within the you know you would expect that's that's probably what you're looking at there. Mm-hmm. You okay? We got to go at least seven. You'd like to win them all. In Tomlin's history, home games against good opponents. Are very favorable. Yeah, I mean, especially they if they're key. you know yeah right. like you get in that you get to see the Seahawks on a Monday night, mm-hmm. well or Sunday night Sunday night, and you would hope that there's a lot of people in the stands yeah. and the pass rush finally has a benefit of crowd noise working for them right. and things like that too. So you go over two months without without really stressing yourself. You get on a plane mm-hmm. once to go to Green Bay. That's it. Yeah. The other the other road game is a bus ride to Cleveland. You get to fight the. The, the crocodile not in the swamp. Yeah. You know, so right. at that point in the season, they'll play nine games. Their road games will have been in Buffalo. Tough Cle- game, of course. A tough game, but short trip. Short trip. Buffalo, right. Green Bay, and Cleveland. Hmm, okay. The Green Bay's the only far one. Yeah. And they uh, might have out of Aaron Rodgers. You know, so... I mean, they're good teams. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You're playing good teams. Yeah, you're playing some but good that teams can, in there. That's subject to change. 
your point is not subject to change. Right. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be there. I'm sure the Bills will be at full capacity for week one. But after that, I mean, we were just talking off the air. Saquon Barkley, Cortland Sutton, you know, all these guys that get hurt in week one or two, the team you're looking at as an opponent. Remarkably different. Remarkably different. Yeah. You know, they have a tough schedule. I mean, that's an undeniable fact. But the travel thing's big. You know, they don't go far. Yeah, they have the second shortest travel schedule in the league, I believe. I think it's second fewest miles. Second fewest miles traveled. Uh the only uh, the only team with fewer is Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that matters. It does. It does. It just wears you out. I mean, these are athletes that have to perform an extremely high level. The the day the, the second the whistle start, you know, blows, it's not like me and you. Like ah, I can do a Zoom call from here, or you know, a presentation, or I can write my article from the, the hotel room. I mean, it's a big deal whenever you're traveling and it beats up your body yeah so i mean i look at the the steelers schedule and and while everybody's fretting over oh this is gonna be really hard to you know in in the last i mean let's face it the last six games are tough oh that's really a tough stretch but if you take care of business assuming those teams look like they we they do now if you take care of business in that early stretch if Mm -hmm. they get through that or let's say they're they're seven and two through those first nine games which is certainly possible six and three at worst maybe Um, now all of a sudden, you know, you come out of that, that in, go into that stretch. Okay, week 11, and you're at the Chargers, at the Bengals, Ravens at home, at Vikings on a short week, mm-hmm. Titans at home, at the Chiefs, Browns at home, and then at the Ravens. The last six are, are really yeah. rough. But if you if you take care of business in those first nine mm-hmm. and get the six or seven wins. It's really the first you, 11. You've set yourself up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 even that game against you know the, the char in against the Chargers, the Steelers won out there. Yeah, as good as Herbert was last right, right. year, they won. What they win five games, six games. Right, right. I mean, yeah. they're not. A, they weren't a great football team. Neither is Minnesota. Right. I mean, I know it's a short. It's week just in a short place. week. That's yeah, a, that's a tough environment. That's back to the you know fighting lions and stuff conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's in their their home turf. Um, a couple things to note too. I, I think that's a great way. Like, you could absolutely see the national narrative of, oh, you know, the Steelers are 7-2. and two. Boy, it looks like last year. And, you know, then and then the last stretch they go 3-3. Three and three and Yeah. This oh, really here they go. They're folding down the stretch again. Right. When everybody sees that this is the tough part but of the they're schedule. They're playing the exact same level yeah. of play as they were earlier in the season. A couple other notes about the schedule I thought were favorable. I really think hot games early in the year are a huge detriment. And – more so than ever. There's one fewer preseason game. Nobody plays their stars in the preseason. The last time any of these guys played close to 60 minutes was whenever they were eliminated or won the Super yeah. Bowl. You know, I mean, it's been a long time. And they don't have to go to Miami or Jacksonville or Arizona or any of those places right. early in the year. And anytime I see Denver on the schedule, I want it here, not there. Right. And the Steelers got both those perks. Yeah. The cold stuff doesn't bother me. There's a lot of cold weather games late in the season. That's why you draft Harris. Right. Yeah. That's why you. That's why you go get it's that not guy. Like you're Miami going to Green Bay and you've never done it before. I mean, cold weather should favor the season. Even you know, Defense even and, closing the season out in Baltimore. It's not like you've never won in Baltimore. No, before. right. That's not unfamiliar or anything. Right. Um. So I, you know, I look at the schedule and, and again, while people are, are all concerned about it, I, I don't know that I'm all that concerned about it, and, and I know, um. We've talked about the you know teams such as the Steelers, the Patriots that don't have a lot of turnover. Yeah, usually start a little slower. 
I don't know that that's going uh, to that necessarily happens this year because no, no, no. Yeah. the Steelers actually have some turnover. No, they do. They do. Yeah. You would think in a favorable way. I mean, there's, there should be. I mean, we we always you a know new the, philosophy on offense. A new philosophy on offense, like the, ball. the Steelers will have a much better bead on the Bills what the Bills are going to want to do in Week yeah. One than the Bills will have a bead on what the Steelers. They still have an Steelers idea, offense, right? Oh, we're going to see some motion. We're going to see. The, they don't know exactly sure. how much. They don't know how what it's going to look like. They know what Ben is. Yeah, you know, and, but they don't know the rest, you know, and, and they understand. Okay, Deontay's a really good route runner, but he drops the balls. Clay pulls a big fast, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the typical scouting reports that every team does. But philosophically, they won't have a beat on the Steelers. The role. interesting thing I think from for me this year in the preseason, um, and and we saw I, I asked Pat Fryermuth today, you know, how much how much pre snap motion does the new playbook. Uh, include mm-hmm. and he said oh, there's a good amount in there and you know he hadn't done it much I mean, at Penn he State but, years, but yeah right 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 um, I wonder how much like the Ste- if the Steelers with Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins or Josh Dobbs at quarterback do more of that or less of that or or as opposed mm-hmm. to when they're actually playing Ben Roethlisberger that'd be something fun to monitor yeah and certainly noteworthy yeah I think you're dead on with that so do you see you know okay so let's say uh, the, you know, we know the Steelers play three preseason games, uh, or four pre, four preseason games. Four, right, Roethlisberger's right. not going to play in the opener. No way. Probably plays a little bit in the week two game. Maybe a series. Maybe a series. Yeah. Maybe not at all. Yeah. And then that week three game is the one where he plays a quarter or a half. Yeah. Or I don't know how they'll monitor it this year. Or a series. Or a series. I mean, you mentioned this a lot with the running back position, but. Every position needs to be rationed a little bit more this year because of the extra game. Yeah. And if you plan on going to the playoffs, you know, like it's a it's a marathon this year. I don't think a lot of teams are going to play their guys in the preseason, and that's been a trend all over the league like crazy lately. Yeah, you know, and brings my point of being out of shape in week one. Because I, I I was asked the question on, on my live chat this week. Um, you know, do you, do you think that that you know Tomlin should play Roethlisberger more in the preseason? I'm like, no, no. No, he's he's old. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> right. you're doing you is uh, right. playing those guys in preseason games is, is only get, increasing their chances of getting hurt. Right. I mean, I know it's a team game. It's not apples to oranges, or it's not apples to apples. But I don't know anything about Major League Baseball. But Clemens or Randy Johnson or Nolan Ryan, late in their career, are they throwing in, in spring training much? I would hope not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not like, like they did when they were you know 22 years old. Right. You know, they'll go out there and throw seven innings again or whatever. I mean. It's foolish to me. Save your, you yeah, save your reps for in the game. Right. And, and I don't know that that's – again, I don't think that's the problem with the Steelers, you know, tra- traditionally being a slow-starting team. I think it's the lack of, of turnover. Everybody knows – it's the same thing with the Patriots. Everybody mm-hmm. knows who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas these other teams who are getting a lot of turnover, new new coordinators and new head coach or whatever, yeah, there's some unknown there. Yeah, a couple points on that. First of all – I'm sure if you go ask any head coach when the schedule comes out, what do you think looks like a hard schedule? They all have the same answer, basically, like, we don't think about those things. But that's not coach speak. That That's true. I mean, they'll look at it like, when's our bye? You know, who do we have in week one? Time yeah. to prep for the Bills. And now I finally know who the, the next opponent is. They're going to study the Bills like crazy. But they realize that the the schedule the, the league changes week it's a, to week. It's so a seventeen game fast. schedule. The right. teams the team a team in week one is not going to look like it does in week ten. No, uh, nor is not a team in the league. Nor is Coach Tomlin's team. You know, yeah. like he's going to have to adjust on the fly too. Your strengths might become weaknesses. 
So coaches don't look at it that way. Like, boy, we got a brutal schedule this year. Um, I forget what the heck I was going to say. <laughs> but no, oh, here's the other thing, too, that I'm not sure everybody out there realizes is you, you understand this better than I do because you go to practice every week during the season. You can't change what you do per opponent as much as people think. You know, it's only a couple practices. People think, wow, you got a whole week to prepare for New England or Cincinnati or whoever your opponent is. You still do what you do. I mean, yeah. unlike other sports, these 11 human beings all have to act as one. It's not, well, the rebound bounces here, and then we all react yeah. off of that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's they run plays. Where Joe you Bag know? of Donuts is going to hit a three-run homer for us in this right, situation right, right. and win the game. Like, we don't need practice, or, you know, I'm not sure where the puck's going to go, or, you know, we're going to create on the fly. Yeah, you do things different, but, you know, and it's 11 people on the field. You know, you can't have Johnny over there not knowing what he's doing, so... You can only do or so party, much. as it were. <laughs> there you go, right. <laughs> I mean, you can only do so much. And once you get a bead and you get four games in the books of these new teams, that's more or less how they're going to stay. You got the, the book on them, the yeah. Re- yeah right. You know what they're going to do. You see, you see tendencies. You read sure, tendencies. Sure, sure. This is what they are. This is their goals. This is how they're going to play, you know. Yeah. So, I, you know, to a certain extent, those first four games for the Steelers, Bills, Raiders, Bengals, Packers, our, our opposing team is going to, are, are going to be getting a bead on what Matt Canada's offense looks like. Mm-hmm. They don't know right now. They don't know right now. Right. I mean, what are you going to do? Go back and watch some LSU tape. Go back and watch some Pitt tape, some Maryland tape. Right. Well, you, you know, that, that's different. I mean, I'm sure even a year ago, teams looked at the Steelers thinking, we're going to see more jet motion. We're going to see because Canada's involved. But you don't know. And even now, you know, is Ben going to – Ben's historically at the bottom of the league and play action percentage. Is right. it going to be more Ben or is it going to be more Canada? You know, like you, you get the idea that Canada was hired for this reason. They're going to make changes, and I'm sure that's true. But you still have the old dog taking snaps. <laughs> you know, how many new tricks is he going to? And how much off? can he? Know. Yeah, how much right. can he physically do? Right, right, right. Um, you know, one of the things. Uh, and that's not the throws. That's the the style of play. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Kendrick uh, Green was asked today is 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 how much, uh, how many center snaps had he had he performed with the with the quarterback under center, and he said we really the only time we ran with the quarterback under center was on quarterback sneaks, short yardage situations. There, right? Yeah, there yeah, seems yeah, to yeah. be like this this idea that the Steelers have to they have to get back to running with the quarterback under center. I get asked that all the time. Like that's the only way you can run the football. You know, it's 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 insane. Like most of the, uh, we get to run the I formation. Watch college football, too. folks. Watch the, the quarterbacks NFL. are in the shotgun ninety percent of the time. Right, and teams run the ball just fine out of it. I mean, there's a little bit different angles, and you know, you, maybe we'll see some pistol. You know, where they split the difference a little bit. Yeah, you know, Peyton Manning was a big time under center quarterback. Went the pistol late in his career. You know, because he, he couldn't get, get out to the back. corner. Right. Yeah, yeah. He couldn't get it back as as well. Um, Ben's not going to be under center traditional, you know, Bradshaw, Rocky, and Franco and split back. You know, this, I mean, like, this not, is it's not, not, it's not 1977 right, anymore. Right, right. Teams would love if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you so, don't have to do that to, to run the football. No. Or even operate under play action. You right. Know, you can still you can run play, play action, action out of, yeah. Then you don't have to turn your back to the defense and, you know, uh, the, the things have advanced. Yeah. It's, it's all about the, you know, the RPOs and yeah. is there a, Run to the pass option. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be just patch option. That, right, that, right, then right, there's right. no option. Then there's no <laughs> option, right. And, and the Steelers didn't give themselves enough options last year or take advantage of enough, enough, enough options last year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but uh, I, I just thought that was interesting. I, I, I saw that uh, can you beat up a bear. I know, I'm thinking of a bunch of animals, too. Yeah. Ostrich. I don't think. No. That's a tough one. Yeah. Horse. No. No. There's a lot of ones you can't hurt. Yeah. You're not <laughs> going to win that battle. I was asked this today, too, and it's something I harp on a lot, is I do think this Steeler offense now can hurt its opponents a lot more ways than they used to. Is, is Having a running game matters so much. As last season went on, they couldn't hurt their opponents. They didn't have enough weapons. You know, they didn't have daggers and swords and guns. You know, they... They didn't have the deep ball, and everyone knew it. And they didn't have the running back to make things work out of eight-man boxes or heavy boxes because they didn't get up yardage on their own. Yeah. And, and I was talking to Stan today, too. I mean, even just a simple thing, you know, if you have Ebron and three receivers on the field, you really only have five blockers for the run game you yeah. know, that are really going to, you know, get the better of a Bush or a Spillane or a strong safety, you know. It's just a numbers. Game. Now you, yeah. Now you're asking your running back instead of asking him to make one guy miss, it's two, two or three, right. and they're not backed off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and they weren't good enough runners to do it. You know, so I mean, even if Najee Harris, um, you know, averages three point eight yards a carry or something like that, that doesn't bother me. I mean, if he's still getting chunk runs and keeping them honest, you know, and opening things up for the rest of the team, they didn't have that last year. They they really didn't, and. Uh, Deep ball just just there. getting that that first look at Najee Harris today. Um, he looks apart from what you I said. I would not want to tackle that guy. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited to see him in person. I mean, Najee is a specimen. I, mean, I, I thought you know I was watching him go through some drills, and I actually posted some video of him on on Twitter uh, taking some reps. Um, just the body type looked like Martavis Bryant. I, when I just look, I looked at him, the long arms and, mm-hmm. the, and the physique. I'm like, this guy's put together. Wow! And he, he just looks at, he just looks athletic. People that haven't seen Bryant, and I haven't seen Harris yet, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like I saw Terrell Owens in person. Yeah, like, are you a cartoon? <laughs> are you a cartoon character? Or, or, <laughs> people probably think, wow, that's not what a running back should look like. I'm scared now. No, I mean. Eddie George looked yeah. like a Greek god. Right. He just looked different than most running backs. You know, if you see him in person, um, I bet Derrick Henry looks like right. a, you know, they look right. like they were chiseled out of stone. And, they look you know. different among people that look different than you and I to yeah. begin with. You know, I mean, there's, I always find that interesting that some, the, the heights and weights you see on paper don't really do a lot of these guys justice. Even like one of the first camps I was at with Flozell. Yeah. Flozell was listed at like 6'7", 330. But he made everyone else look small. They were six five, three twenty five. You know. Yeah, like, you'd see, you'd see, different. you'd see, you know, ten helmets in the in the in the huddle, but one was much higher than the rest and, of them. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's how you carry the weight, how you you know, how you distribute it, and all that too. You know, my six three two eighty five isn't exactly like Aaron Donald. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, He he is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lally. Uh, We want to thank Jacob Breck for keeping us on the air. And we want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive on Steelers Nation Radio. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're tuned to The Drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. As I mentioned in the previous segment, uh, Matt, uh, rookie minicamp kicked off today. We got yeah. our first uh, opportunity to talk. To, to, well, not our first opportunity. They were in the facility. Everybody I was, was in the facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody was there. I got to see them on the practice field. There were footballs involved. and There were yeah, footballs right. there. Yeah. Um, they didn't often throw the football. It was, it was weird. Uh, even hmm. like when they were going through some of the... It was more like a walkthrough than it was an actual practice. Okay. Um, Probably taking it from the board to the field for yeah, the first time. Seeing who yeah, could right. do what and how, who, who learns quickly. That's kind of how that worked. Uh, but we had an opportunity to uh, chat with Pat Fryermuth today after practice. Cool. Uh, so I did want to play that back. And uh, we'll do this with a couple different guys just to hear what their reaction yeah, was to, to the practices. So uh, here's what Pat Fryermuth had to say about practice today. Okay, Pat. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the, the nickname Baby Gronk. Uh, I saw that Penn State gave that to you. Uh, how did that come about, and how do you feel about it? Uh, I guess it came about just because I'm from that area, um, War 87. Obviously, Gronk played for the Patriots for a long time, grew up you know, kind of watching them. Um, you know, I hate it because, you know, I think it's, you know, pretty annoying <laughs> that I'm being called, you know, baby Gronk. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to get rid of away that from that nickname. So, uh, I don't want to be called that. <laughs> Gary Dulac, Post-Gazette. Hey, uh, Pat, uh, let's just uh, talk a little bit about uh, both your ability to catch the ball and block, being a kind of a two-dimensional tight end. And Steve Jones told me you never dropped a pass in the red zone while you were at Penn State. <laughs> Can you confirm that? Is yeah. that true? Yeah, that's true. Um, never dropped a pass in the red zone. Um, you know, that's where your plays um, you know, are there for the taking. And, you know, you get very limited opportunities down there. So, you know, I – Got my number called and everything like that. You know, I wanted to make the most of it. So, you know, the red zone is time to lock in and score some points and you know make touch and get touchdowns. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, it's not really. Sorry, Jeff Hawthorne, ninety-three-seven. And how much have you been able to look at the offense? How do you just overall? How do you feel about your fit here? Uh, I love my fit. I think you know it, it's perfect. Um, you know, I'm very happy that I'm here in Pittsburgh, and you know the offense is, is awesome. I think it's very. Um, you know, complex, and you know, I think it's going to utilize you know the talent that we have on this roster. And um, you know, from the first walkthrough today, um, it felt great. It felt you know, like I understand most uh, that's going on. Chris Damsky, true. I've seen Coach Tomlin and even some of the assistants come up to the tight ends right away and want to see them on the sled block. I don't know, rookie camp, you probably can't do sleds and stuff like that, but. Did you just from the pre-draft process? Is it true that the Steelers? We 
we can't understand you either. Your, your audio is doing something really weird. If you want to just text me your question, I can ask it to him. That seemed to work with Triv. Okay. Okay. Will Graves, Associated Press. Pat, I'm just curious, what were your impressions of seeing Najee out there and, and sort of what are the, the prospects of maybe you got a chance to meet him and maybe your other fellow rookies at all and sort of what's the vibe that you guys are, are trying to get here? Yeah, I mean, Najee's impressive, obviously. You know, he, he's a hell of a running back. And, you know, through a walkthrough today, you know, he makes very good cuts and you know, he's very smart with the football. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's a really good guy. Um, so I'm, I've kind of connected with him and Kendrick. Um, Kendrick's a really good guy, too, and he, he's very big and built. And, um, you know, he's just – both of them are very, very good guys. Aditi Kinkabala, NFL Network. Hey, Pat, um, you mentioned the offense earlier, and you said already you really like it. Well, for all of us, this is a new offensive coordinator, so we're really not familiar with what's going on. Can you tell us what about it do you like? What appeals to you? What has you feeling like, okay, this is going to be something that can really run all over the league with? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's complex, but it's simple in the same way. Um, you know, I think, you know, Coach Canada puts, you know, um, guys in the field where they can create mismatches and, um, and I think he does a good job just kind of understanding and kind of, you know, figuring out what the defense weaknesses are. Um, and I kind of can see that with the looks that he, he gave out there for the little team today and um, just kind of what he's put together, um, you know, in camp so far. So, um, you know, I really like the offense and, I, and, you know, I enjoy being in it so far. And since Thomas left me open, thank you, Thomas. Pat, one more. What sort of interaction have you had with Ben Roethlisberger so far? Yeah, so he actually called me, you know, the day after I got drafted. Um, I mean, he reached out and he, he's an awesome guy. Um, you know, he, he's taking us, me and, and Najee and Kendrick out to dinner tomorrow night. Um, you know, he, te he texted back and forth a couple of times with us and, um, you know, my locker's actually next to him. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, it's pretty cool just, you know, seeing him, um, when I was a young kid, you know, being in NFL and, and look, oh, that's Ben Roethlisberger. Now um, my lockers are next to him. So it's, it's pretty cool and definitely surreal. Thanks. All right. Mike Prezuda, DVE. Pat, your, your willingness to block is pretty well documented. You've been described as a guy, though, who is better physically with the ball in your hands than you are actually blocking. Would you agree with that? And how do you get that blocking part up to speed along with your receiving part? Yeah, you know, I think blocking is definitely something that you can, you know, you always can get better at. Um, definitely, that's definitely something I need to get better at. You know, I think I was a very adequate blocker in college and, you know, I was able to get the job done when I needed to. Um, but, you know, here, you know, I just want to bring back kind of the mentality I had my freshman year, just kind of you know, go in there and, and, and block them as hard as I can and, you know, make some plays in the, in the run game. And, you know, the, the plays in the pass game are going to come and, and, and I'm not, not going to push for that. But, you know, I'm here to you know, make an impact blocking right away. So, you know, that's what I'm going to pride myself on. This is from Chris Adansky, Trib, and kind of a good follow up to that. Um, did you feel as if the Steelers emphasized blocking more from tight ends in the pre-draft process as opposed to other teams? And in your time interacting with the team early, have they emphasized it more in blocking techniques with you? Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really say they kind of hammered it a lot, you know, in the pre-draft process. It more kind of gets to know me. Um, but, you know, being out here in the past couple of days and out on the field today, you know, they definitely, um, you know, want the tight end that can, you know, go out there and block and make a difference. And so, you know, they definitely emphasize that with me. And, I'm ready for the challenge. Great. Last three questions. Dale Wally, UK. Pat, as, uh, as Aditi mentioned, uh, we're learning what the Matt Canada offense might look like as well. Uh, did you notice a lot of pre-snap motion uh, in the playbook? And how much of that did you do at Penn State? 
Uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's a decent amount, um, you know, just from the first install that we did, I, you know, there's, there's a decent amount. Um, you know, I did a, not really pre-snap motion um, at Penn State. You know, I kind of, you know, sometimes with motion and depending on a look or something like that. But, you know, we were kind of at Penn State, kind of get set and, and, and roll with the play we had. So it's going to get some, you know, adjusting to, but, you know, I, I felt good doing it in the, today. Tim Benstrom. Uh, this is a bit of a follow-up to what Jerry was talking about with the red zone, but correct me if I'm wrong. When you joined us after uh, you got drafted, you said some of the effect that your freshman year, you did a lot of red zone stuff while Gasicki was with you as well, correct? Like you guys would come out together in the red zone. You get a lot of targets there. Yeah, well, Mike was actually left before I got there. Oh, Mike left before. Your freshman year said so you got a lot of red zone targets, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that something that we could see a lot of with you and Ebron together? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I think, you know, um, Ebron's, you know, he's an awesome guy. And, you know, he's, he's a hell of a football player. So I'm excited to learn from him and, you know, kind of see what, you know, his task for us uh, in 12 personnel is to what we do and what we're asked to do. And you know, I'm excited to see, you know, that, that stuff. All right. And last question from Nick Farabaugh, Pittsburgh Sports Now. Hey, Pat. Um, I, we talked a lot about your blocking, but I want to know more about your comfort level as a receiver. Do you, obviously, you played a lot of H back, a little bit of F at, um, Penn State, do you kind of feel comfortable working outside because Matt Cannon in the past has worked his tight ends all the way to the boundary as an X, as a Z? Do you think you can do that all the way from that to a Y on the interior to an H back? Yeah, I think, mean, you know, I can do it all. I think that's, you know, kind of, um, you know, that kind of prospect I was. So just kind of, you know, making sure that, you know, I'm very versatile and, you know, can do it all in the field and whatever's asked, you know, line up in that fullback position or, you know, spell to that extra Z receiver. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to do whatever they ask me to do. And, I'm just excited to, you know, see, you know, my progression in this offense. That was new Steelers tight end, Pat Fryermuth, with the uh, media after today's practice uh, over at Heinz, not at Heinz Field, at the UPMC Rooney mm -hmm. Sports Complex. Um, had a chance to talk to him. We also had a chance to talk to Kendrick Green, the Steelers' new center. And um, interesting, uh, we, he was also asked about the offense. You're getting a chance to talk to two of the uh, the guys learning the new offense. Yeah. I mean, they don't know what to compare it to from last year, but still. They I mean, give you some insight. They give you some stuff. Right? Yeah. yeah, so uh, here's what uh, Kendrick Green had to say as well. There was a video of you doing Nordic Curl just before your pro day. Why was it so important for you to set a goal to do one during your training with Duke Ma Mannyweather, and how does that toughness in training translate to your play on the field? Um, so just, uh, you know, it was something we were doing and during a workout one day, just in the pre-draft process down in, uh, down with Duke. And, um, I got, I got really close to going all the way down and coming back up, but, uh, couldn't quite get in each week. I kind of just progressed and like, I would always try and get one rep, you know, and, but that one week I finally got it. And, uh, but yeah, it just showed, you know, stacking what you do when you stack weeks and weeks on the work on top of one another. So, uh. You know, I try to try like try to implement that into my game as well. You know, stacking days each day get better and better until you know you finally get the breakthrough. Dale Lawley, DK. Yeah, Kendrick. Uh, I was talking with uh, James Kirkland uh, from Illinois uh, earlier this week, and and he said that uh, when you got on campus, he he was telling you, "Hey, man, you need to be an offensive lineman." He saw you play offensive line in high school. Uh, can you run us through just how that whole all went for you uh, again, just when you made the decision to, to go to uh, offensive line from defensive line and, and, and how that whole process, because you did it quickly in three months, you went from being a, you know, a defensive lineman to being in the starting lineup. Yeah. Uh, Cole, yeah. Kirkland always used to, you know, 
get on me about, uh, you know, like, and you'd be way better on the whole line. I wasn't trying to hear it, you know, being young. But uh, eventually, you know, the way this, the, our roster and our team started shaping guys, leaving the program, and you know what I mean? We get more defensive tackles. I'm like, you know, let me let me try and make this switch. And I did that, and uh, it did work out for the best. Will Graves, Associated Press. Hey, man, it's hard not to notice that jersey number you're wearing today. Uh, I'm sort of curious, did you have any say in that, or did they just sort of hand it to you? And it, is it intimidating to, to wear a number of a guy who obviously excelled at that position that you now ostensibly are trying to fill in it? Yeah. Um, I, no, they didn't hand it to me. I kind of, um, you know, I wore 53 since high school, you know, obviously at Illinois I wore it as well. And uh, so I kind of requested it and um, knowing that he had retired, you know, I feel like maybe I, maybe they get it. I was fully prepared for them, you know, to keep it off, but they let me have it and uh, try. I got big, big shoes to fill. So I'm going to, going to work towards that. Uh, let's try Jerry Dulac post-gazette. Hey, uh, Kendrick, what is the, the biggest uh, uh, change or maybe difficulty of playing guard, of playing center rather than guard? Is it physical or is it mental because of maybe all the uh, calls and everything you'll have to make? What, what's the biggest difference between the two? Um, you know, I'm real comfortable at both. Um, obviously, like you said, a center is a little bit over mental side of the game, but I'm fully prepared to, uh, to swing that as well. So, um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say the mental part is a little different. What is the physical challenge, uh, Kendrick? Um, really not too much, man. You know, it's all the same, playing physical, playing aggressive, and coming off the ball hard. Aditi King Kabbalah, NFL Network. Hey, Kendrick. Um, welcome to Pittsburgh. And I am going to ask you two, if that's okay. One, have you been told anything at all about the expectation that you'll be the starting center or what are your thoughts about that? And then number two, have you even had any sort of look at the playbook yet or any conversation with your fellow linemen? Uh, yeah, um, to answer your second question, yeah, we have been kind of, you know, digging into the playbook and even a little bit today, but um, you know, just trying to, trying to get the hang of that. But as far as the role on the team, just showing up every day, you know, uh, if I get the spot, I don't, but I'm ready to come in and compete, you know, and, uh, and you know, also learn from the older guys. All right. This is from Mike Prezzuto, DVE, just because his audio was cutting out. Um, so, like, in your experience in college, how much zone did you run and how much was QB under center? Um, under center, we I haven't, uh, unless we were running a uh, quarterback sneak, we were never under center, but um, – and then as far as we were a big inside zone, outside zone team, so that's something that, uh, that I'm, I'm really used to. All right, we have four questions left. Jim Wexel, Steelers Digest. Uh, Kendrick, um, you know, when Pouncey started as a rookie, the big thing, the big conversation with, we had with coaches was the communications and making the, making the calls, making the changes up front. Um, you were a guard most of the time in college. How difficult is this going to be? What kind of grasp do you think you'll have on this and kind of a timeline? Um, you know, I can't really put too much expectations on myself. You know, I'm just – my goal, I'm going to show up every day and compete and, you know, get as much out of every day as possible, uh, try and maximize my, uh, my time in here, so. You know what, guys? Actually, only have two. It's one question per person today because we've got to get these guys moving so they can eat lunch. I'm sorry. Chris Adamski, Trim. Kendrick, how much interaction, if any of you had, with the uh, 
the, the veteran um, offensive linemen on the team and some of them more veteran than others, like the Castro's, you know, 10th year and, and uh, Dotson, the two guys that would play next to you is a, was a rookie last year. Do you have any conversation with them and how you might, you know, what kind of personalities those guys have? Um, yeah, just kind of, uh, just, you know, them reaching out through text or a phone call here and there. Haven't really, haven't met anyone in person yet, but, um, but yeah, just, just, you know, everybody congratulating me on, you know, draft and things like that and uh, welcome me aboard and uh, I'm excited to work with them. All right. And last question, Noah Strackney, Sports Illustrated. Hey, Kendrick, going back to the number, have you talked to Marquise at all? And, and if so, have you brought up the number? Um, no, uh, he reached out to me the day after the draft and, um, just, you know, tell me congratulations and, uh, you know, just get ready to work and, uh, and play hard and be a stealer for sure. But, uh, but no, as far as the number, I haven't, no, because I mean, at the time, I didn't know what I, whenever I was going to wear, but yeah, so. <laughs> that was Kendrick Green, the Steelers' new center, as you uh, heard there, he, uh, um, wasn't sure the Steelers were going to give him 53, but he asked yeah. for it, and they gave it to him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's running on numbers in a way here, too, I mean, which is one of the reasons they, they made that number switch that you can do some different things this year. Uh, and Steelers had that problem to some degree, too. you gotta, you got to give out some of the greats numbers. Yes, even right? though some of them aren't retired, you know, it's right. It's still a problem. I mean, you're not giving out 75, but you're going to be yeah. giving some out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have one last one that we wanted to get to here. This would, of course, be with the Steelers' uh, new punter. And we haven't had a chance to hear from Presley Harvin third yet. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to him at the draft. So here is the initial Presley <laughs> Harvin third press conference with the media. Welcome to Pittsburgh. Um, just uh, ask you first off, have you heard from any of the other specialists on the team so far? You know, the guys you might be catching snaps from or, or holding kicks for or anything like that? Uh, yeah, biggest one is uh, Christian, the uh, long snapper here. Uh, me and him are in camp together. Uh, pretty good guy. Also talked to Boswell just a little bit. Uh, haven't gotten the opportunity to meet him yet, but, uh, you know, they're genuine guys up here. I'm um, just ready to get to work. Let's go to Christopher Carter. Christopher? Especially congratulations making it to the NFL. What did it mean to you when you became the first black man to win the Ray Guy Award? Uh, you know, with, and especially with you know the history, there's haven't been a lot of black punters in the NFL, you know, throughout the throughout its history. Yeah, man, it was a complete honor. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of hard work throughout this time to be able to get to that point. Uh, you know, high school was definitely a grind and being able to, you know, the guys to go to Georgia Tech. Uh, also, I'll be one of the first African-American punters there, uh, you know, just, just add to that legacy of, you know, that's find that group. It's not me. It was like you said, uh, I really count on a handful of, you know, it's about all of us. Uh, it's just a tight knit group. And, you know, being the first one to win the right guy, you know, I just I feel like I'm a trailblazer. Uh, you know, I'm going to be able to pave the way for guys that's going to be at me and, you know, kind of make that route easier for them. Joe Rutter. Hey Presley, were you um, were you expecting to get drafted, or did you think maybe you would, you know, you know, since not many punters do get drafted, you might be in the undrafted free agent role? I knew it was a fair shot uh, coming into it. Me and my agent talked a lot. Uh, it was definitely potential sixth to seventh round, um, and you know, the draft is always something that you know I've always been looking forward to. But if, if it didn't have to actually happen the way it did, man, I was just going to try to make the most of any opportunity I could have got. Rich Walsh. 
I wanted to ask you about, you know, how many people talk about your size and is it a huge advantage for you and how aggressive will you be out there on special teams this year? Yeah, man, I'm a bigger dude. Uh, a lot of people always ask me, you know, when they say, you know, you play football, and I always get that question, what do you play? And, you know, I always let people try to guess on themselves of, you know, what position. And it's always the, the rather alarmed defensive lineman or fullback or halfback or something like that, man. It's just, I just, when I tell people I'm a punter, you know, they're just kind of astonished the fact that, you know, I said that. But, you know, when you when you look at me, I don't look like it, but I put a lot of dedication into, you know, getting myself to the position where I am today. You know, I kind of thrive on it. You know, being unique is a little bit, you know, a lot of people are unique in their own ways. And mine is my size. You know, I bring something else to the table. Um, got a strong leg. And just being in my frame, I feel completely comfortable with it. And, you know, I'm just ready to evolve. Jeff Hathorn. Chris, when was your, what were your pre-draft conversations like with the Steelers? And when did you know that they were really interested? Yeah, so uh, Coach Danny Smith, special teams coach here, actually ran my pro day. Uh, he, he's actually a coach that coached at Georgia Tech, too, back in, he won the 1990s championship there. Uh, so he had ties at Georgia Tech. Uh, and I knew that kind of ahead of time. And when he got there to, you know, talk to me a little bit before pro day, told me he was probably going to be the one running it. Uh, you know, it, it was something that, you know, I know the, I know the organization, I know where it comes from and all, and especially him too, being a successful coach. That it meant a lot to me, uh, especially a, a guy that already went to Georgia Tech and coached there and, you know, came through the ranks and know this organization and know the NFL like from, from the front and back of his hand. You know, it, it meant a lot to me for him to be able to be there every step through the way. Uh, you know, this process has been tremendous. Uh, you know, we're here today because of it, too. Mark Caboli. Hey, Presley, I assume when you were younger, you played you played uh, youth ball, you played high school and other positions. How did you get hooked up with funding and you knew that that was your future? Yeah, so uh, growing up, I played offensive line when I first started playing peewee football. Uh, and then when I got to middle school, we had an open tryout. Uh, I was playing center at the time, and, you know, no one else wanted to kick. So I just took the initiative of, you know, let me try to help the team out and just see how it goes. You know, I might not do it forever, but, you know, I'll try it out. And, you know, here we are today, many, many years later, because of that one, you know, that one decision that I made one day in practice, just trying not to be selfish. Uh, but it's been a journey. I played tight end freshman year of high school a little bit, and then took full, I took full responsibility for funding my sophomore year. And that's when I came to the decision of, you know, this is something that I can be really good at. Jim Wexel. Presley, uh, I saw one, one pass of yours. You have to have uh, dominated on passing kick when you were a kid and have some kind of passing cred. Tell me about your passing history. Yeah, man. Uh, I used to love just throwing the ball when I first started playing football. Uh, I knew I couldn't play any position like that when I was growing up. That was a big Hey, Jim. Jim, can you mute, mute yourself? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So growing up, uh, I played offensive line and peewee football. So, you know, I never got a chance to throw the ball, but I always liked to. Uh, so when I got the opportunity when I got up in college, uh, you know, I've already made myself full aware of the fact that I can throw uh, and just kept trying to tell my coaches, you know, whenever you want to make that opportunity, trying to have throwing fakes, you know, I would like to try it. Because uh, usually you would have the, the back or someone like that throw the ball. But, you know, I feel I felt comfortable enough to be able to do it. Uh, and that, that's, that throw that I had against Miami back in 2019 was definitely the highlight of it, man. 
And, you know, it just shows that, you know, I'm, I'm versatile. Uh, I'm a bigger dude. I got a strong leg. But, you know, whenever a fake needs to happen, you know, I can try to execute it the best I can. All right, we'll check, out, check back on a couple follow-ups. Brian Backo, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, you, you know, we've mentioned on this call everything that kind of makes you unique as a punter, Presley. Uh, what, what have been your teammates, your new teammates' reactions, the other rookies? I mean, do many of them know your story? Uh, or have you been explaining uh, to them kind of the same stuff you've been explaining to us? Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of guys here, but I haven't gotten an opportunity to talk to all of them yet. Uh, just flew in yesterday, and as soon as we got here, we were already booked up with other stuff. But, you know, definitely being able to talk to these guys and kind of pick their brain on, you know, where they come from and their stories and trying to share mine, too. You know, it'll be it'll be pretty cool to see. Uh, Joe Rudder, did you have a follow-up? Yeah, I do. Um, just, you know, being the only punter here, um, you know, what do you hope to get out of these two days? You know, the, there's no other specialist for the leader. Do you, do you expect to get some work out of this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely expect to get some good work up here. Uh, like I, like you said, I'm the only one. Uh, so I just got to take advantage of that opportunity to, you know, just highlight my attributes on the field. Uh, the biggest things I'm going to try to worry about is, you know, just living the moment, just taking it all in because, you know, just this time last year, we weren't even, we didn't even know if we were going to play football. And just being in the position we are today, you know, just trying to make the most of every opportunity I get. Uh, Mark Caboli, did you have a follow up? I do not, Michael. I am sorry. You're okay. That's all right. All right, we'll wrap it up. Um, Reggie Anderson, uh, if you're on. Yeah, hey, Presley. Uh, growing up in Sumter, when did you dream of, of getting to this stage and, and the values that you learned at Sumter High School from your family uh, taking with them to the Steel City? Yeah, man, I, I made the decision of trying to get to the NFL when I was like 14 years old. Uh, went to base middle school at Sint Sumter and no, my mom sent it to me the other day when I was, you know, trying to get ready to come up here was just a note that I wrote on my phone at the time. It was just like, you know, I want to have aspirations to get to the NFL. I don't know how that looks, but, you know, I'm not going to stop grinding until I get there. When I do get there, I'm going to just continue to grind. And just being in this, this in this organization and being here today, you know, it's just a true testament that hard work really pays off. Uh, and it really just comes back to my family, man. They, they always tell me, you know, one thing we have is a motto as a family. You know, if we're going to do something, we're not going to quit. Even if it's not in our favor, we're still not going to quit. And, you know, I just never quit. They were always behind me, still are to this day, man. Just, you know, it's a true blessing to where I am. That was Presley Harvin, uh, the Steelers' new punter. Um, didn't get to see him kick today, but that was the first time we've heard him talk. I'm interested to see it. I wonder yeah. if it makes that boom noise off his foot a little different than others, just by the, the build of him and his, you know, c- career numbers and whatnot. Um, I, I like that pick more and more. I was talking about it on the podcast today. I mean, there's a lot of long snappers drafted in the sixth round, kickers, punters. I just think that the league looked at round six and seven like they're not super valuable. There wasn't there. a player that you were going to take in those rounds that was guaranteed to make your roster, unlike, right. unlike a kicker or a punter. They, they, and those guys aren't guaranteed, No, but, but they've got a much better shot than— They have to beat out one guy. Yeah, the, you know, <laughs> hey, we're going to take a, a shot on a— you know the the seventh outside linebacker, sure. or, you know or, things you know, of that nature. Eighth defensive lineman when six only make the team. I mean, right. the numbers are against you from the right off the bat. Uh, so you saw a lot of that, and it all stems from just not as many people were eligible for this draft. Yeah, you know, and the, the undrafted crew is not as strong. And next year's class should be much better. You can over 
you can overlook that thing when you're just so focused on one draft because it's all relative. Well, he's better than this guy, and you know. But overall, the end of the draft isn't very strong. No, it wasn't this year. So that was uh, that was the move the Steelers made there to go get a punter. And again, you know, if he makes the roster over over Jordan Barry, you save four hundred thousand dollars. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, over a four year stretch too. You that's know, you're yeah. not going to get a veteran or you know. In four hundred thousand dollars, you may say, well, that's not very much. That's a player during the season. That's a player, right, right, right. You know, the the minimum is like six fifty now. Um, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, you start. I can grab this vet for yeah. league minimum type of deal or not. Well, now I can. Now you every can every year for yeah. four years. You know, and whether you pay him after that or not, who who you know, worry about that later. But you don't want to be in the market of let's go find a punter and have to pay him league minimum, and then we don't like him, and you know, yeah, then the, you, the answers are problem. Then that's you start cycling through those punters, and it's, you know, okay, until you find one that you like. Yeah. And that's, that's you know, it's just not yeah. good business. It would really be nice if he does prove himself in the, you know, we won't see him kicking weather and things, but yeah. I mean, they must like him quite a bit. Led the NCAA in punting last year, so yeah, right. there's that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's going to do it for this segment. So for my partner, Matt Williamson, for Jacob Brecht here on site, getting keeping us on the air and uh, – queuing up those uh, interviews for us. I'm Dale Lolly. We want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive on Steelers Nation Radio. You're tuned to The Drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. And Matt, um, Rick Goslin used to be at the Dallas Morning News, Kansas City Star, now works for the Talk of Fame Network for Sports Illustrated. And he undertook a a little thing here where he A little thing. A little thing. We had him on the the, uh, the show with us the other night when we wrapped up the... uh, The uh, The schedule show. The schedule. Um, He he went through and looked at every NFL pick... And draft slot, mm-hmm. and figured out who was the best pick of all time at that draft slot. I mean, this is going back many years yeah. too, many draft classes, and many picks. Many picks. This is a monster project. And so I, I, I thought we would uh, go through this and, and look. Mm-hmm. It's obviously the Steelers are very well represented they are, here, they are. Uh, but it's just some interesting picks here. Uh, so let's dive right into this. Uh, his his yeah. his number one number one overall pick, Peyton Manning. I'm sure. I mean, I'd have to think about it. I mean, this is a big project. It's I mean, he's a top five quarterback ever. You know, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty hard to argue, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some other strong candidates, but that's pretty big. Uh, by the way, he picked 259 slots on this. The Packers led the way with 20 draft selections. The Steelers were second with 18. That's awesome. Yeah. Just to give you some... Uh, some Drafting uh, is important. Yeah. Uh, number two overall pick, Lawrence Taylor. I think he's the best defense player ever, so maybe... Five guys could have beat him out, maybe. I mean, I'm yeah. not sure who I would put ahead of LT. And that number two spot's always – that's a tough one. It is. Uh, it, it, really, over the last 20 years, if you go back and look at the number two spots in the draft, they're a little disappointing. You know, a lot of times it's the second quarterback. You yeah. know, and that's not always – and this year's a good example. You know, we don't look at Wilson and be like, ah, he's okay, you know. Number three, Dick Butkus, 1965. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think Barry Sanders was in that spot. There was a couple that were uh, – when I retweeted this tweet, some people wrote back, you know, Butkus was one they didn't 
quite approve of. But remember what well, a here's horse the thing. he was. I mean, this guy was an unbelievable Buckus player. was drafted in 65. Also, he Gerald was, Sayers was in that draft, by the way. He was the fourth pick, yeah. yeah. Um, he was on the NFL's yeah, uh, 100th, 100th anniversary team. Mm-hmm. Two-time All-Decade team player. That's so he made it for the yeah. 60s and the 70s. Correct me if I'm wrong, but before LT... I kind of feel like he was considered the best defensive he player ever. He had 49 ever. career takeaways. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, like, that's, right. That's pretty, and they didn't throw the ball the same amount. Yeah, that's, a, right, that's right. a pretty, in, yeah. Number four, the first Steeler on the list, Joe Green in 1969. Yeah, and I forget some of the other names, but we were interviewing Rick, and we brought up this pick. Walter Payton was one of them. Yeah. yeah I mean, he took Joe Green over two or three, not Hall of Famers, but – all-time greats. And he, and he said know, he right? did that because Green was a franchise changer. And I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I do believe he's the, the greatest Steeler player ever. Number five, Deion Sanders. I 100% agree. I know he's not the most popular around here. When I was a kid or, you know, old enough to know football, Deion's overrated, Woodson's so much better. I'm not saying who's better or worse, but I don't care that Deion doesn't tackle. I mean, that yeah. guy matched up one-on-one against Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice all game. 19 you know? career touchdowns on returns. And yeah, what a guy. As a defense, yeah. Too. Wow. Number six, Jim Brown in 1957. That's pretty good. Hard to, <laughs> hard to go wrong there. He's the number one back on your list, don't you think, all time? He's mine. I just think he was so much different than everybody else yeah. in his time. People forget his linemen were his size. Right. You know, like, that's like the fastest guy on the field being 310 pounds today, yeah. you know. Number seven, Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I forget how we had this conversation with Rick, too. He was a little torn on this one because he's not yet in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. One of his starting, part of his process was started with the Hall of Famers. Peterson's going. Peterson's going. He's got 14, he's almost 15,000 career rushing yeah. yards. I did a top 10 running back of all list, all time list like two or three years ago, and Peterson's stock hasn't changed. But he was like eighth or ninth for me. Yeah. I mean, he's a star. Uh, number eight, Ronnie Lott, 1981. Good. I mean, maybe the best safety of all time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's pretty strong. Number nine, Lance Allworth with the, uh, San Diego in 1962. I said this to my 14-year-old son. He's like, Lance Allworth. Who's that? something yeah. better than nine. Like, this guy was, you know, the star of the AFL. And, you know. He was putting up 1,000-yard seasons when nobody else was putting up 1,000-yard seasons. Big-time deep threat when yeah. that wasn't really a thing yet. Number 10, our second Steeler, Ooh. Rod Woodson, 1987. Yeah, just brought him up. I mean, pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah. 71 career interceptions. Yeah. Number 11, our second Brown, Paul Warfield. That yeah, was on. 1964. He was, he was on the Brown staff with me as a scout and uh, a legend, obviously. Ohio State, Browns. Uh, he was on the perfect Dolphins team, too, from what I remember. One of only six players in NFL history to average more than 20 yards per catch in his career. Yeah, he was an Olympic sprinter, yeah. too. Yeah. Number 12, Herb Adderley, cornerback Green Bay, 1961. People probably don't know, but, I mean, that was one of the foundations of yeah. those awesome Packers 48 teams. career interceptions yeah. wow. when they threw the ball about 20 times a game. Yeah, wow. Uh, number 13, Tony Gonzalez, 1997. I have a hard time arguing with that, too. I think Gronk has the better – I think Gronk is the better player, but Gonzalez – had all the tight end records, and I think it was the second greatest tight end ever. Number 14, Gino Marchetti, defensive end, Baltimore Colts, 1952. He's the other one my son's like, you got to do better than that. I'm like, dude, 
the Colts, you remember the the Namath um, Super Bowl three? You know, that was such an upset because of guys like Marchetti, Marchetti, where they were the foundation of an awesome Colts team. Is just they just didn't have Super Bowls yet when they were at their, pr- yeah. their prime. They won two championships. Mm-hmm. Number fifteen, Alan Page, nineteen sixty-seven. He's a phenomenal player, and I think now he's a judge. One hundred and forty-eight and a half sacks as really? a def- as a defensive t- uh, defensive for, for tackle. The people eaters. Yeah. Sixteen, Jerry Rice, Forty Nineers, nineteen eighty-five. Pretty good. Hard to overlook that one. Yeah. Seventeen, Emmett Smith, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. I mean, all-time rushing leaders, yeah, it's pretty hard to argue with. <laughs> 18, Paul Krause, Washington, 1964. Don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He's, he's the all-time NFL inter- – yeah, he's in. Is he in? I all-time sure. NFL interception leader. Yeah, I knew 81. that. I, was, I thought he was not in for some reason, but okay. 19, John Mackey, 1963 with the Colts. Way ahead of time yeah. in terms of tight ends. He averaged 20 and a half yards per catch in 1965 as a yeah, tight end. As a tight end. Yeah. Running away from people, yeah. Number 20, Forrest Gregg, Green Bay, 1956. He was one that took for a long time to get in. There was a lot of fuzz that he's the best offensive lineman not in the Hall of Fame, a guard. Also a coach. Uh, 21, Randy Moss in 1998. Easily. 22, Ernie Stotner, 1950. Hmm. I don't know much to add to that, but he's just, I mean, all-time Steeler great that doesn't get talked about nearly yeah. enough because he was pre-70s for the Steelers. Pre-70s, he also yeah. was the, you know, kind of, some people look at it like, well, he was the defensive coordinator in Dallas when they were in the 70s mm, as well. Okay. You know, so there was. He's kind of like the Ralph Kiner. I think I did the I think the final interview with Ernie Stautner that was ever done. Oh, really? I did a thing when this, uh, it was during the, uh, the anniversary year uh, of the Steelers, they, you look back at each decade, and I, I got Ernie Stautner. I hmm. uh, had to talk I mean, to him. He was the greatest Steeler yeah. up until the 70s, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, no doubt. Without yeah. question, yeah. Um, 23, this is where we go a little awry here. With uh, I don't agree with this. Ray Guy. I don't there had to be, I would have liked right. to have seen Rick put in here, just missed. Yeah, some that, things that like that. Smart, cause I, I'll bet you I could find a better 23rd pick than Ray Guy. Even if he's a Hall of Famer, he's still a punter. He he's touches a punter. the ball six times a game. What's he have a two-yard per punt better average than the best other guys in the league at the time? Like, hey, enough for me, man. No. 24, Ed Reed. Oh, yeah. 25, Boyd Dowler, Green Bay, 1959, wide receiver. Yeah, don't know a ton about him. I mean, I know he's a crucial part of those teams. Won five championships. Right. <laughs> yeah. Has some hardware. Uh, 26, Ray Lewis with the Ravens in 96. Pretty darn good. I mean, their first draft was Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden. On yeah. Staff, the same first round. Uh, 27, Dan Marino in 83. Steal the, steal the draft in a heavy quarterback class. Never should have fell. 28, Derek Brooks in 95 with the Buccaneers. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a great player. 29, Fran Tarkenton, 1961. I think he went to... Four Super Bowls, right? I mean, he was a he was a Vike. He had three giant. Super Bowls. Three, yeah. He was a Vike, and then a Giant, and then a Vike. Yeah. Number thirty, Sam Huff, nineteen fifty six with the Giants. Yeah, I mean he's a throwback, old school, you know, Butkus type. You wonder in a few more years here if uh, if, you know if if TJ Watt continues on his path here. That mm. yeah, it would be interesting to see some of the recent guys. Yeah, you know who are. 
who has a chance to unseat some of these? Maybe, maybe some of the late first rounders in particular. I mean, um, like Mahomes yeah. even, you know. 31, Curly Culp uh, with Kansas City in 1968. Recent Hall of Famer. Uh, one of the original nose tackles in a 3-4 defense that uh, – Yeah. Those Kansas City defense had linebackers, too. I yeah. Mean, Buddy Bell and those guys. He had 68 career sacks as a nose tackle. nose tackle. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 32, Drew Brees. Pretty good. First pick in the second round. Or second pick in the second round at that point because they had 30 teams. Yeah, right. He was not a first rounder, right. Uh, 33 is Brett Favre in 91. Took a year or two, but yeah. Uh, 34, Jack Ham in 1971. Nice. That's nice. a second round pick. Uh, 35, Christian Okoye in 1987. Wow. I mean, the Nigerian nightmare. You would think some. I mean, I don't, I'm not disputing it, but th- that one doesn't blow me away as phenomenal player, no-brainer. This might, next one might. Ray Nitschke, 36. Mm, wow. Another one of those throwback linebackers. He's got a lot of hardware, too. Yeah. Green Bay. 37 is Norm Van Brocklin with the Rams. Yeah, obviously well before our time, but, yeah. you know, a big ahead won a of couple of championships. Yeah, was an yeah. NFL MVP. Three-time passing champion. 38, Mike Singletary. Yeah, that's boy. Those Bears linebackers are pretty strong. Yeah, it's 1981. A lot 39 of linebackers on this list. Yeah, 39. Jerry Kramer with the Bears or another, the uh, Packers, I should say, in 58. Another great Packer offensive lineman. 40. Thurman Thomas. He's pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, ahead of his time as a receiver, I often think of like him, Roger Craig, even Ladainian Tomlinson, Falk. They caught a lot of balls for their day, but imagine if they were around today. If they were playing today, Maybe yeah. like McCaffrey or Kamara, at least. 41, Andre Tippett, 1982 with the Patriots. I, I always liked him growing up because he got overshadowed by LT and Derek Thomas a little bit, but in most eras he'd have been the best edge rusher around. Yeah. And his teams weren't very good. 42 is uh, Gronkowski with the Patriots yeah, in one, 2010. Yeah. 43, Sonny Jurgensen with the Eagles in 1957. Yeah, I mean, he's a, I think he's a Hall of Famer, right? Pretty sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, quarterback. 44, Dermonte Dawson, 1988. Nice. nice. I think he might be the best center of all time. I'll respect the Webby, you know. Yeah, uh, he's I, I'll take pretty Dawson. solid, yeah. yeah. Pretty solid. Uh, 45, Dave Casper, 1974 with the Raiders. Won a lot of games and was a really good player. Hall of Famer. Yeah. 46, Larry Allen with the Cowboys in 94. Oh, boy, was he good. Just 47, here's a here's a current player, Bobby Wagner. Ah, wow. I mean, that guy might be – I think he goes to the Hall of Fame. I mean, if he made this list, there's a, probably yeah. a pretty good chance. I mean, I think him and Keekley are kind of the Troy and Ed of this generation at middle linebacker, and he won a Super Bowl, Legion of Boom. Yeah, he, he stood the test of time. 48, Dwight Stevenson in 1980. In conversation for best center ever, too. Yeah. 49, Roger Craig in 83. Hmm. I mentioned him. He's not in. I don't think he'll go, but was ahead of his time. Great receiver. Um, 50, Willie Lanier with the Chiefs in 67. That's linebackers. I was yeah. talking about him and Buddy Bell. Yeah. 51, Ricky Jackson, 1981. Yeah. yeah, That was a pretty good defense, too. He was a loaded group of four, you know, four, type of, four back, linebackers in that 3-4. Uh, 52, Kenny Stabler. 1968. I think I've said this on the air before, but my, my dad always said growing up, hate playing against Pete Rose and Kenny Stabler. <laughs> Those guys just figure out a way to beat you. They're not pretty, but Pete Rose will get beamed and then he'll steam second and then somehow scores the winning run yeah. and Stabler's the same way. 53, Mel Blunt 
1973. Yeah, you wonder how how Mel Blunt, uh, 1970, falls to the 53rd pick in the draft. I'm sure it's something to do with the era and the school we went to, but how do you watch that tape and be like, well, I don't know if he's a first-rounder. Yeah, he's probably <laughs> probably a third-round pick here because <laughs> right. that's essentially what that, you know. Yeah, wow. 54, Stan Jones of the Bears in 1953. First name I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Defensive tackle. Okay. Um, Hall of Famer, seven Pro Bowls. Uh, was voted to three Pro Bowls as a guard and started the 1963 you go, Stan title game as a defensive tackle. Okay. That's a pretty good resume. 55, Andrew Whitworth, another co- another current yeah. player. I, I think he probably goes to the Hall of Fame. I mean, I look at, like, him and Jason. I don't know if he – four Pro Bowls. Yeah. He stood the test of time. Him and Jason Peters and a couple of those guys this era I don't aren't know. The, I don't know that Whitworth has ever been considered the best guy. No. He's yeah. never been the Ogden or Pace. Yeah. Good, great career. 56, Bobby Bell, Kansas City, 1953, yeah. uh, 1963, another one of those uh, linebackers. Front seven, KC guy. 57, Devin Hester in 2006. He's almost like a punter. A little bit. A little more dangerous, yeah. but that's like a Steve Tasker type pick. 20 career touchdowns on the he returns. The best returner I've ever seen, yeah. but he's a returner. 58. Nobody could figure out how to use Hester on offense or defense his whole career. Yeah. Dick LeBeau with Cleveland in ah, 1959. Nice, nice. And for people who don't know, he's a Hall of Famer before he was an ever coach. Yeah. Well, the Hall of Fame is just about his, his playing right, career. Right, right, right. Um, in those 62 yeah, career interceptions yeah. that he might tell you about if you talk to him. <laughs> 59, Aeneas Williams with the Cardinals in 1991. He's a great player, too. Yeah. He wasn't brash like Dion, but he was really a standout solid. corner. Yeah. 55 career interceptions for, for yeah. him with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Not on a good team either. It didn't help his cause. 60 is Pat Swilling in 1986. He was with Ricky Jackson. We're yeah. talking about those linebackers. Sam Mills, that group. Vaughn Johnson. 61, Brian Dawkins in 96. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, Eagle fans love that guy. 62, Tony Hill in 1977 with the Cowboys. Eh, wide out opposite Drew Pearson. 63, Travis Kelsey in 2013, another yeah. current player. I mean, you look at him. I mean, he's a good down. one of the best tight ends ever, and he's not close to being done. 64, Dan Fouts in 1973. Uh, I had a Fouts jersey even as a diehard Steeler fan when I was eight or whatever. Those Charger <laughs> teams were just too much fun. 65, Frank Gore. Yeah. 2005. 66, Rondé Barber in 1997. I'm not sure if he's in or not. I don't think he is. Hall of Fame, no. No, no. no. He's not. Neither one of the Barbers are. Uh, 67, Kenny Anderson, 1971. We often talk about should be. Should be, Doesn't yeah. Doesn't get the respect he deserves, yeah. Yep. Uh, 68, Lance Brigg with the Bears in 2003. He was pretty good. He got overshadowed by Erlacher for all those yeah. years, but part of a great defense. 69, Jack Christensen uh, with That's the Lions in 1951. Know. He's a safety. Okay. 46 career interceptions. Uh, 70, Jimmy Giles with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1977. He was a good tight end on a really bad team. He was a receiving tight end before that was really in vogue. Winslow got more hype than him because he's a much better offense, but Jimmy Giles was good. Uh, 71, DeMarco Murray, 2011. Hmm. Must not be a great draft slot, but, I mean, he had a year or two that he was 7,000 career rushing yards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that he was bad. 72, Jeremiah Trotter, uh, Eagles. Hmm. Big line, big uh, LeVon Kirkland-like linebacker. Yeah. 73, Jason Taylor, 1997 mm. with the Dolphins, another local guy. Yeah, local guy, and came and visited us when I was at Akron. I actually got to meet him. He's a pretty cool dude. 74, Larry Wilson, safety with the Cardinals in 1960. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah. 75, Russell Wilson. That's pretty good. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. 
Yeah. 76, John Taylor in 1986. Yeah, he's at that Alvin Harper feel to yeah. him, you know, where the, the, the offense was so great and the other receiver was so great. I'm going to take it away from the guy, but uh, he's not a, a star on his own, in my opinion. 77, Eldon Bethea, 1968 with the Oilers. 78, Gene Hickerson, guard with the Browns in 1957. Okay, I don't know that one. Uh, 79 is Jim Ringo, center for the Green, the Packers, uh, 1953. Why, Johnny Ringo? Looks like 15 years in the NFL. Grave. Yeah. 80, Art Shell in 1968. Yeah, easy Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't know if Steeler fans give that offensive line enough credit with Otto and Shell and, you know, Upshaw. 81, Russ Grimm. Nice. Another pick. Yeah. Yeah. 19. uh, That was a pretty good line, too. That's the wrong year, though, for that. He's got 1969 for Russ Grimm. He's not that old. (laughs) 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 He's probably 79. Yeah. I mean, he he was a star. Uh, No, I think he was 80. He might have been 81. Maybe I was just he was on, yeah. yeah, he was on those teams at uh, Joe Jacoby, Bostic. Yeah. I mean, they were he was they, that, that was, the whole offensive line was Mark May, another yeah. big guy. Yeah, they were loaded. Uh, Jim Sweeney was on that line as well, I believe. Um, I don't think he was. Maybe at, maybe right after that. Could be right after. Jim that. Bostic was the center. That's it. That's yeah. what I'm. Yeah. I'm, okay. Eighty-two. Joe Montana. Yeah, I think that's a that's probably pretty safe. safe yeah, you could have done that and just filled in. Okay, here's the here the slam dunks There's and then work from there. Ones, yeah. Right. Eighty-three. One ninety-nine too. Yeah. 83, this one tells you this must have been an awful spot. <laughs> Orlando Brown Jr. in 2018. Wow. You say he played, what, three years? Four yeah. years? Three years. Right. He just got traded. I mean, that must be a pretty bad spot. 84, Bobby Mitchell with uh, the, the Browns in 1958. He was a little ahead of his time, too, as a do-it-all weapon. 85 is another local guy, Joe Schmidt with the Lions in 1953. Is he from Pittsburgh? He's from Cannonsburg, I believe. Okay. 86, Morton Anderson in 1982. He's yeah, I mean, a kicker. Special, yeah. He's about as good. He's a top three kicker, in my opinion. Yeah. But 87 is Vic Washington running back for the 49ers mm-hmm. in 1970. It must have been another uh, yeah, weak spot. Another tough one. He only had 2,200 career rushing yards. I wonder who, like, the, the last couple picks or, you know, the last 10 years guys that were drafted in that slot. That's a pretty easy spot to overtake the champ right now. Well, that would be Kendrick Green's spot, right? No, I guess it would, yeah. <laughs> uh, 88, uh, Bullet Bob Hayes in 1964, Hall of Famer. Yeah. 89, Terrell Owens, Ooh. 1996, Hall of Famer. 90, Antonio Freeman, Green he Bay, was pretty darn good. 1995. Yeah. Only one Pro Bowl. Only one Pro Bowl. Yeah. Uh, 91, Navarro Bowman, uh, 2010 with... The, with uh, Played next to Willis, Penn yeah. State guy, yeah. 92, Heinz Ward. There you go. 1998. Yeah, I mean... Not going to be a Hall of Famer, but a great player, and everybody knows his resume around here. Uh, 93, Charlie Joyner with Cincinnati in 1969. Yeah, he, he had a really good career even before the Fouts, Chargers, John Jefferson, Muncie yeah. era. See, this is the difference in eras here. Okay, Heinz Ward, 1,000 career catches, 12,083 yards, 85 touchdowns. Not in the Hall of Fame. Not Hall of Fame. Probably not going to get there. Charlie Joyner, three Pro Bowls in his career, uh, one less than Heinz Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, 750 career catches, 12,146 yards, 65 touchdowns. Wow. See, the only, the only place where Ward, he beats Ward is in yardage. And I always remember Joyner was like top five in receptions every year, really yeah. consistent chain mover, you know, especially late in his career, kind of like a stalwart. Uh, 94, Charlie Bradshaw, 1957 with the Rams. Man, also uh, played some tackle for the Steelers in his career. Hmm. 95, Rick Upchurch. 
1975 with Denver, the punt returner. Yeah, like, I was say, isn't he a specialty guy? Yeah. 96, Charles Haley, 1986. Oh, yeah. 97, Todd, five rings. Todd Perry with the Bears in 1993. Todd Perry in 93. Yeah. Why do I not know that name? He started 97, got games at left guard for the Bears, and 47 at right guard for the Dolphins. Hmm. Long-time player in the league. Not a, a 98, Rich Gannon with New England in 1987. MVP, I think, a year. Yeah. When he was with Gruden. 99, Joe Theismann, 1971. He had a pretty darn good career, too, huh? At number one or one hundred, Mark Bavaro in 1985. He was fun to watch too. Yeah, it let's roll like through here to get some other Steeler picks here. That's okay. the top hundred. One hundred two, Johnny Unitas, 1955 Steelers. with the Steelers. People don't realize that. Probably should have hung on to him. Probably should have hung on to him. Yeah. Number one hundred four is Dwight White in 1971. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, that, that worked out okay. Uh, cruising through here. Um, I remember Hardy Nickerson's. On Hardy that Nickerson's list on there point. at 122 in 1987. Uh, All decade team, five Pro Bowls. Uh, Mike Webster at 125. Yeah, good one. In 1974, that worked out okay. Uh, it's two Steeler centers on the list. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like Lambert didn't make it, or Stallworth, it's or tough Swan, to, this, or Bradshaw, or, you know. Yeah, it just depends on where you fall on the uh, sure you know, thing. Uh, 150. Greg Lloyd in 1987. Mm. Wow! Imagine getting him with 150. Yeah, not going to not going to go to the, the the Hall of Fame, but five Pro Bowls, two time Steeler MVP. Oh, yeah, um, really good football player. Absolutely. Just, yeah, injuries. Uh, what was his playing his weight? Was he like 220 ish? 220s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was even light as for an a Steeler outside linebacker. Yeah, they always talked about moving him inside, and he always no, that wasn't going to happen. He was too good a pass rusher. I mean, yeah, edge pass rusher was phenomenal. Scary pass rusher. Right. Yeah. Uh, number one eighty-five, Jeff Scanina. Yeah, we mentioned nineteen ninety-three. That was really my first. Him very that well. was my first career. My first draft that I covered. Wow. Um, you said it was eighty-three. Eighty-three. Uh, ninety-three. Ninety-three. Oh yeah. Yeah. Won a Super Bowl, twenty-six career sacks, but it's the hundred eighty-fifth pick of the draft. Mm-hmm. How about the guy right after him, number one eighty-six, nineteen sixty-one, Deacon Jones. Wow. <laughs> and invented the sack. <laughs> Yeah, that, that worked out <laughs> well. Number one ninety, George Atkinson in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, you could you could mine some A menace. Yeah. yeah, number one ninety five, Antonio Brown. Easy one. Two thousand ten. Yeah, he's going to Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, it, this just to show you that this neighborhood here of the, the, the right around that two hundred pick. Number one ninety six was Terrell Davis. Mm. That worked out okay. Yeah, absolutely. One ninety nine is obviously Tom TV, Brady. Yeah. 200, Bart Starr. Wow. <laughs> 1956. That's a pretty good neighborhood from 195 <laughs> to 200. Holy smokes. They're like all Hall of Famers. Yeah. Uh, 202, Ernest Jackson, who, of course, played for the Steelers back mm, in the Yeah, 80s. he wasn't a bad player. Chargers yeah. drafted him, right? How about this one? 203, Richard Dent. Mm, wow. Good. Again, that, that, that area there, like yeah, there's some right. really good football Fine. players here down Two in the gems. 200s. Uh, you can't count on getting those guys. But, no, of course. Yeah. But don't, they're not throwaway picks. No, for sure. Uh, let's see here as we get through here. Um, who, who else jumps out here? Andy Russell was number 220 wow. in 1963. 220 sure in 1963, was. you're talking about probably the, I don't know, because uh, there weren't many teams. There wasn't many teams. I see what you're saying. But that. you have more rounds, so he's probably 12th round, or something 12th like round maybe. Yeah, maybe even later. And, and – Unfortunately for him, 
he came a little too early. Yeah. Uh, he only ended up with, what, two rings as opposed to four. But, I mean, he was almost Ham and Lambert's equal. Number 238 in 1969, L.C. Greenwood. Ah, there you go. That one worked out okay. Him and Dwight White both. And Joe Green, three of the front four. Yeah. Number 242, 2002, Brett Kiesel. Ah, nice. Showing up on the list. High quality, yeah. Number 248, 2012, Kelvin Beecham. Wow. Still playing. Still playing, right? Yeah. Started a long career as a left tackle. 115 career starts as the 248th pick. He was a compensatory pick. Yeah, I remember there was some story. Okay. Yeah. Maybe uh, they lost to get that pick, or there was some story about that. Uh, that's That that pick they then turned into James Conner. When Beecham left. When Beecham left, Right, yes. okay. Uh, Dom Makowski in two, is it 255? The Magic Man. The Magic Man. Number 259, Jim Turner, kicker, Washington, 1963. I'm fine with kicker. Finishing with a, yeah, whatever, right. but that's finishing with a bleh. <laughs> right. Mr. Irrelevant's not so great. Yeah. Not so great. Not a, not a Hall of Fame kicker. Interesting list there that no, uh, Rick Goslin put together. That uh, Yeah, he said it took him eight or nine days to put that whole thing together. Really good stuff there from him. And uh, interesting, so many Steelers so were many guys Steelers. that played for the Steelers. Uh, he should put it out like every five years. You know? I told him he should, just, he should make a book out of that. Like, yeah, right. Start with that and then. You know, somebody like Mahomes, maybe he get, he's earned it. You know, the new guys you know, started earning their spots and knocking guys off. Yeah, interesting. interesting. That's for sure. Wouldn't mind doing going back every 10 years and taking a look at it even. Right. I would like to see the runners up, though, especially for the first round or yeah. stuff like that, too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Be interesting. Uh, but that's going to do it for our show today. So for my partner, Matt Williamson, for Jacob Recht here on site, keeping us on the air, I'm Dale Lolly. We thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive on Steelers Nation Radio.